Hi everyone, and welcome back to the CSET Podcast. When we last left off, Keely, Miranda, and Jen were having a great discussion about their roles in training and researching through diversity and how it has impacted their lived experiences. We will now hop back into that conversation. CSET members, remember to keep note of the PDC code word hidden randomly throughout this episode to claim your PDCs online. touch on both that Jen and Miranda touched on and again going into this next talking point of advice we'd give for exercise professionals is just the idea that not with everybody but with a lot of people with some sort of physical disability their function is going to change on a day-to-day basis and that might be somebody like me with a like traumatic disease so traumatic brain injury my function is going to vary vastly depending on the amount of stress I'm under, what my mental load has been that day, my nutrition, my sleep, my hydration, even the weather. So exceptionally hot or exceptionally cold environments are going to change my function. But also maybe those chronic conditions that aren't so much traumatic as much as they are acquired that fitness professionals are likely going to see a lot more often. When I was training, I had a client with arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, and some days there was no problem. We could go in and do whatever exercises I had planned that day. And other days she would come in and say, Keely, I can't use my hands at all. Like I'm not going to be able to hold a two pound, two pound dumbbell. And that day I'd had a workout focusing on shoulders. So now on the flip of a switch, we need to change it up and know what is going to be accessible for that person on that given day. And having them know, or at least not making them think that they're a burden and that their body has now inconvenienced us as trainers and what we had originally planned to do because we can't control what our body, how our bodies are going to react on any given day. So personally for me, that meant in the weeks leading up to my comprehensive exam, my stress load was very high. My sleep was probably not perfect and communicating that with my strength coach and my cycling coach so that they could adapt it so that we know, okay, We're going to have one very key workout a day, and we're going to do that before I focus on schoolwork, before my mental load gets high. And even just adapting where we're training in the day for somebody like me, who, again, mental stress is a big aspect of what dictates the amount of function I have on any given day. Totally. And I think that goes across the board, Uh, just as far as asking your clients what they need. Sometimes they know, and sometimes they also, the the fitness world has become so in your face on social media and stuff that this is what it should look like, which, oh, just breaks my heart on so many levels. Um, I've had a couple really like probably in their seventies come in and tell me that they're, the reason they're there is to lose weight. And so then I watch them move and then they go into their history of their health and they can't get off the floor. They have all these issues throughout the day. And, and it's like, is that really what you're here for is weight loss, like at the top of your list, or can I, as a, as a professional reach out to you and just touch base on how I can understand and respect that that's important to you, but that 
there's some other things going on in your body that may, that you might find serve you better if we focus on that a little bit more. And sometimes it's just eye-opening to clients too, that it's like, okay, yeah, I do want to lose weight because that's what I'm told I should be doing. Um, but yeah, it would be great for my husband not to have to help me get off the floor and, oh, it would be nice to be able to play with my grandkids. And it's like, just a huge part of my profession and my goal is to kind of break down those stereotypes of this is what people think that they, that they need or want. And then when you show them some other things that would really benefit them, you know, how that can play out and that it doesn't have to be a blanket statement. Exactly. Like what you guys said is everyone's different. Everyone's body is different. We can't assume that we know what people are there for either. Some people are there for mental health. Some people are so burnt out that working out five days a week, isn't really going to serve them. They, they would do better on talking to them about sleep patterns, proper nutrition, working out a couple days a week with quality movement. I love that you said that Jen quality fitness versus like dropping the 5,000 burpees thing. And let's do some quality, some quality movement, which can be a hard sell nowadays. And I mean, coming from a kind of high performance Paralympic standpoint, it can be really hard if you don't know what to look for. If you don't know how to adapt these exercises, you don't know what could feasibly be accomplished by different people. And the biggest thing I could say, again, coming from that high performance standpoint, and I'm sure both of you, especially Jen, will be able to talk to maybe more of the general public. But if anybody's not sure and they want to learn more about what is feasible or what sort of accommodations could we make watch the Paralympics um, it's been so great this past year we had pretty good coverage it definitely wasn't on par with the able-bodied games but it was better and there is nothing that made me happier than coming home and talking to people and them saying like not only did I watch your race but I watched the, the track and field and how are these people running hurdles when they don't have legs how are these people with one leg doing a high jump of six like six feet and just seeing all these people have their eyes open to what is possible. And I mean, if you look at the history of the Paralympic Games, that is the ethos of the Paralympic Games is to change the general public perception of disability, specifically in this case, physical disability. So from a high performance standpoint, you wanna know what at the highest level somebody with disabilities can do, watch the Paralympics, be part of that movement that um, celebrates the Paralympic movement and celebrates what bodies that maybe look a little bit different than you might see on the day-to-day -day street can actually accomplish. And just that message too, that you don't have to have a disability to need adaptations to your training. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't mean that you're incapable. That means you're listening to your body and you're accommodating what it's telling you you need to do. When people start that connection with your body, which you have to learn when you have a disability, because if you don't pay attention, it will scream at you what you are doing too much of or too little of, right? But that that 100% adaptations go across the board. And I think it's really important fitness professionals. And this is what I love about being part of CSEP is we are those fitness professionals that have the education that we should be able to make these modifications and make everybody successful in their fitness journey. This we're trained. These We aren't people who took a course online one day, right? Like we know 
we know biomechanics. We can use our brain to figure out functional training for people who need adaptations. And if you don't know, ask, because then everyone can be successful. That, that's great. I think this really aligns with the piece of advice I was going to drop in was, is that everyone that you are going to interact with will teach you something that will impact your practice. And so don't be afraid to be open to listen to them. Just make sure you change your practice to accommodate their needs once you have heard them. So take the time to listen, take the time to understand their perspective, and then consider if your practice needs to change. And if it does, that's okay. That adaptation means that you're better needing the needs of, the needs of the people you work with and the needs of the people that you serve, and your practice will become better and you'll become a better professional because of it. Today's podcast code word is inclusion. The I in EDI stands for inclusion. CSEP members can log into their CSEP account to add this word for PDCs. I'm kind of curious, as somebody who acquired their injury relatively early in life, I, was, I already had lived with my injury for many years when I became an exercise professional. As you guys either acquiring it a little bit later in life, Miranda or Jen, not... Um, Jen, just um, identif not identifying as somebody with a impairment. Is there anything that you wish you would have known when you started working with this population? Do you want me to go first, Jen? Okay. Um, you know, life is full of irony and uh, coming out of university, I actually worked at a physio clinic uh, doing exercise therapy. It was not what I wanted to do coming out of school, but it was like a great opportunity, a really good spot to get my foot in. Um, I enjoyed it, um, but I learned so much about adaptation working in a physio setting for, oh my goodness, everything. People with brain injury, people with lost limbs and being like, strengthen this person. And it taught my brain to be like, okay, what do we have to work with? What does this person need to be able to do? Like critical thinking about how can I make this successful for them? And, and truly I had to snap my brain. I was going from working in a gym, doing personal training and teaching fitness classes with general public to make like, let this person who has a knee replacement or who lost part of their arm, how are we going to strengthen that arm? And it was just like, I had to think on the spot because there was also not a whole ton of time to come up with programming and look things up and just using my brain and thinking about what muscles I'm needing to work, what movement patterns I'm needing to strengthen. And yeah, where's the irony that I would be using that in my own day-to-day -day programming now. Um, but having to tweak it back to, to also seeing myself as being like the same person I used to be the same abilities and being like, you know, step it back. What are we trying to achieve here? Because yes, you want to do clean and jerks. Should you today? Is it safe? No. What's something that you can do to adapt and make that successful that isn't putting you at harm, right? And just having to, I had to just very much tweak that. I would have never guessed that this is where I would be. And for a while, I felt like it was a curse that I got this. But no, now I get that it gives me a completely different angle for people coming into group fitness or to class sizes and knowing like, oh, I, I can't do this because of whatever and thinking they can't join 
fitness groups and they can't, they have to do everything at home because they don't fit in or they don't look the same. And so now I embrace that. And my clients know, like lots of times I'll have to pull clients in to be like, Hey, do you mind showing how to do this? Because you're really good at it. And I think that alone too, lets people understand that I'm the teacher. I can't do everything. This is how I'm going to do it. This is how you can do it. These are the options. You pick what's right for you. And, and that style of training doesn't match everybody's what they want because it's not your mainstream. I want to look and do this, but it suits the people that come to me for what the, what they need and, and the ones that value that quality movement. That's great, Miranda. And um, I, again, I don't have a disability. I don't identify as having a disability, but one thing Miranda spoke to that I've seen uh, among the people I work with is that I, I wish somebody would have just told me early on that people with disabilities are experts of and experts in their own bodies. And so uh, as, as challenging as it might be, if you've never worked with an individual with a disability, when you're first getting started, it probably will be awkward and it will be uncomfortable as you're learning, but recognizing that the people you're working with know what they need. And so ask them, like Keely said, she's open to talking to people about her disability if they're willing to have the openness and invite the conversation in. So invite the conversation in, learn from the people that you're working with, and then again, be open to changing your own practice um, because of what they tell you. I think the biggest thing is don't be, I was nervous working with people with neuropathy because it was like, well, not something that was a big topic. Okay. Today we're going to talk about working with people and with neuropathy. It's like, what? That was not what I thought we were doing. And I was, I would be nervous to work with people with neuropathy or people in wheelchairs because we're not really, you think that they need to be treated different and you feel like you need to tiptoe when you don't have a disability. And then once you have one, it's like, no man, like just treat me like normal. I'm a regular person. Feel free to ask questions. You do not need to act like, you know, everything. And I think that is a huge thing, Jen, for sure. Let people know if you have questions, because as fitness professionals, that's totally it. We learn the most from our clients and you'll learn even more about it when you live with it. Right. So yes, ask questions and don't feel like that devalues or puts you at a point where you don't know what you're talking about. I think if anything that, that tells your client that you respect them and you acknowledge that they know their body best. And as a team, you can work together that way, way better. I really like that point. I don't know how many times I've thought either in my head or out loud, I'm not going to break. I'm not made of glass. I am not this fragile thing that you seem to think you can I move differently and that's about it. And I remember when I was um, relatively new with my disability, like probably within the first year and I would go to phys ed classes and I was told I was not allowed to participate because they were playing badminton and they didn't think I was allowed to play badminton, not even singles. So I was told to write a paper instead. And going back to that point that Jen had mentioned where belongingness is so important. I was 16 and I was told I was not allowed to participate in phys ed with my class. Well, now I feel even more alienated. I'm even more isolated and you're missing out on that big aspect of belongingness where if you're worried about me getting hit over the head with a badminton racket, I'll play singles. That's fine. 
Again, I'm not going to break. I'm not some sort of fragile little glass ball that is going to crack if any sort of force hits me. Now let me be a human because that's what I am. Totally. Ask the questions and ask. A big thing for me is always people assume I want help which I'm not offended if people ask if I need a hand with something like lifting something heavy. I can deadlift, but if you want me to pick up that box and walk 20 meters, no, I would love some help. That would be great. But it's like that thing again, where, Oh, she's into fitness. Like uh, she does her thing. It's like, no, I, I, yeah, I'm strong. I train hard for that, but I have, things that I can't do and don't feel like I'm going to get upset with you. If you do something that, that I can do, I will just like, it's, it's our life, right? Keely. So we're used to being like, Oh, I got it. And it's not something that I'm going to sit and carry with me the rest of the day. And if I do that, something I need to work on, but yes, ask those people if they need help and don't feel hundred percent like we're this fragile thing. And yeah. Ask questions. I think that is the biggest thing. Don't feel like you, you need to know everything already. That doesn't put you at a, a higher standpoint, bring yourself to the level of the person you're working with, ask the questions, and then you can move forward together and understand that days will be different. Every session won't be the same and be on your toes, be ready to adapt. Um, I'll speak to my experience a little bit afterwards, but on that note, I'm interested, Miranda, are there any sort of like workplace accommodations you've had to make I know it's a little bit different when you own your own business I know you had mentioned asking clients maybe to demo things that you don't feel you're able to on that day is there anything else and similarly I'm interested Jen if there's any specific accommodations you've noticed that some people that you work with might need I am pretty stubborn and I always think if I if I don't do this today I might not be able to do it tomorrow that's always kind of my mindset and Yes, there's days where I can't do certain things, but uh, asking clients to demo is huge. And I always ask my client ahead of time too. Like I know which of my clients are comfortable. I don't put people on the spot and be like, can you do this to someone who's like deer in the headlights? Like, I don't want anybody looking at me, but that for sure. And then honestly, a big thing has just been dropping my ego. And if I have to... Like we had a five kilometer walk this weekend for my son's disease and I walked two and a half and I was at the very end of the pack and I don't care. Like I walked with my cane and I did half of it and was like, woo, win for the day. You know, I think just for me, it's been dropping my ego, asking people to demo. Um, and then just accepting that some days I just can't teach and and my clients, if your client, my clients get their workout in, they don't care if I taught or like if I'm supposed to teach a spin class, if I have to cancel one day, people respect that. Or if I need to teach sitting in a damn chair and being like, we're going to do this and do this and do this. People don't care. People want their workout. And I think the biggest thing is being like, you would know, Keely being, um, the example that other people need, because whether you have a disability or not, sometimes you have to be able to accept that I'm too tired to do this, or I'm too run down to do this. Doesn't mean weak. Sometimes less is more. And that just has to be how it is. And that is okay. 
And I don't think that there's one accommodation that um, is across the board, right? Everyone is so different. Uh, but I do find that what is most successful for the students that we train, because they're they're going in to deliver these tailored programs where people's function changes day to day and their needs change day to day, is just to keep the human connection at the forefront. Um, and so maybe that is is sort of a blanket accommodation, like you might think that you're going in as a fitness professional to get the workout done, but you can't get the workout done unless you make that connection with the person and truly understand what's happening for them that day and meeting them where they're at and, and respecting that and then being creative to, to adjust to whatever accommodation they might need. Jen, your programming sounds so amazing. That makes me so happy, especially as someone who doesn't have disability to have all those points and to be approaching things that that way. I think that's so amazing. Good job. Oh, thanks so much, Miranda. And like, I mean, for myself, the biggest thing I found as far as accommodations is just asking for help. People genuinely want to help you if there's something you need help for. And I'm sure it'd make things a lot less awkward for everyone if you just ask for what you needed instead of somebody watching you struggle through. Um, and I mean, Academically, there I haven't used a lot of the supports that the university offered, but mostly because when I was doing my undergrad degree, I didn't think there's nothing wrong with me, right? Like I didn't necessarily identify with that brain injured side of myself, where in hindsight, I wish I would have in anatomy classes when I had 30 seconds at a lab station to identify what the little ribbon is around my brain doesn't work that fast. And I think I really could have succeeded and learned a lot better had I used some of the accommodations that the university has in place, but I was scared to ask for what I needed. I think partially because I didn't know what I needed. And then as I kind of learned a little bit more about myself, what my body and what I needed, again, it comes back to asking what you need. So when I had my statistics final in my master's, it was a three hour exam. And I knew there was no way I could, my mental bandwidth would not allow me to sit for three hours to do statistics. That's just not feasible. I would go to my statistics prop and say, can I break this exam into two hour and a half sessions with an hour, an hour and a half in between and make it almost a full day thing instead of sitting for the full three hours. And we had discussed, I'm not to read my notes. I am not to use that time to study, to review, but we broke it, the exam into half. I went back to my desk. I laid down, I put my head down. I put some headphones on to manage the stimulation. I watched some Netflix to let my brain kind of relax a little bit. And in doing so, I was able to, again, just really, I think, perform on the statistics exam the way that I knew I could, given the appropriate environment. Haley, do you That's think, just perfect. a personal question, do you think that that phase that you go through where you don't think you need anything, do you think that's just a phase that you have to live through when, when you do get diagnosed with something or you do have an injury? Um, is that something do you think that you have to sit with and get over to understand the value of, sorry, this is a really deep question for you, but just wanted your personal opinion on that. Perfect. So yeah, no, I just had, I was curious how you felt personally on just, yes, there's lots of resources and there's lots of tools out there that we can use. Um, but do you think that there's a phase that you have to go through when you have an injury or you have some sort of diagnosis that 
that leads you towards a disability that you have to sit in that time frame where you feel like you need to just keep up and that you should be able to keep up um, before you can, I guess, value and appreciate all the resources that are out there to help assist us. That is such a great question, Miranda. And I can only speak from my own experience. I think it's going to be a very different experience for different people, depending on just who they are as a person, maybe the stage in life they're at, when they acquire their injury, their diagnosis, whatever it might be. Um, and just their experience with the disability community as a whole leading up to that. So for me, the way things were, the way my life was, I needed to sit there as just a way to learn more about learn more about myself and what my new abilities were. That said, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I think that what I was really missing and what could have made that a much smoother transition was that um, finding a community of belongingness, as Jen had mentioned, and finding people who now looked like me and people who had the similar um, interests as me. You know, they had the brain injury support group, but I didn't identify with any of those people because there was nobody that I was aware of being like, I want to play sport. I want to be active. I, I don't want my life to look any different. I just might have to navigate it a little bit differently. So I think if I could have found my tribe, for want of a better term, found people that I identified with, I think it might have made that transition a little bit smoother. But I also think that that is why conversations like this are so important to you know, get rid of stigma around disability and understand that just because somebody moves differently or requires an assistive device in the way they move or they um, require some sort of assistance accommodation, that's not a negative, that is, it's not a positive. It, it just is just like some of us have blonde hair and some of us have brown hair. Some of us need a wheelchair, some of us may need a cane, some of us need a little bit more time. So I think just the more awareness around disability, the less of that phase, as you called it, or as I like to think of it as a wallowing period for myself, um, I think that'll be less necessary. But I, I think it's something that you definitely have to come to on your own. Um, it's, it can't be forced. And maybe that's with the help of mental health professionals to help find your new identity. Maybe that's finding your people, your new um, belongingness, whatever it might be. But I mean, again, I wouldn't wish that. And what I went through as a 15 to 23 year old, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm, I, 100%. I think conversations like this, and especially amongst fitness professionals, to know the outlets to send people um, and to do your research and learn a little bit more about disability because it is not a cookie cutter thing at all, right? Yeah, no, that's awesome. You can certainly speak more to the sport aspect of it. Hopefully um, I'll be able to speak to that more as my life goes on. I'm really excited to get into sport again. Crave the competition without the limitation. Um, would be very uplifting. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about sport or physical activity as a whole, especially when dealing with people with physical impairments, there are adaptations that often are going to be um, needed. And again, that's not a positive nor a negative. That's just the way it is. It's mm -hmm. kind of like some people like deadlifting with a hex bar, some like a straight bar. Just because it looks different doesn't mean one's better than the other. And for me, as a cyclist, 
I've got a few adaptations to make my bike safe. So both of my brakes run on one lever because my left hand doesn't work. So my right hand runs both my brakes. When I pull that lever, both front and brake are going. When I pull that lever, both the front and the back brake are going to engage. And similarly, I've got all of my shifting on one side so that once again, my left hand's job is only to hold on. If my hands are really good at holding on. It's the letting go that I struggle with. Um, and then just being able to manage my energy, really knowing that if I've got really important school or research or work things going on, that's going to happen at the beginning of the day when I've got the most mental bandwidth. And if I've got a really important training session, that's going to happen at the beginning of the day when I've got the most mental bandwidth. So just really working on managing, again, expectations, managing my energy. And then when it comes to working with people with impairments, as I said, had somebody put me on the path of parasport earlier, I could have saved so much heartbreak, not only for myself, but my family and my friends and my circle who were watching me go through this period of my life, which then obviously impacted them in very profuse ways. And when we're for any fitness professionals listening in and they're like, I wonder, I've got this client who has whatever impairment or they move a little bit different. I wonder if they would be classifiable for parasport. Honestly, if you would say they probably have some sort of impairment, chances are they're classifiable for some sort of parasport. So typically when people think about Paralympic sport, they think of spinal cord injuries, wheelchair users, and they think of amputees. But the truth is there are so many other impairments that are classifiable from brain injury to MS, to degenerative nerve diseases, to complications from cancer, um, to limited mobility, limited strength due to some sort of, whether it's condition, disease, traumatic event. If somebody moves different, chances are there's a parasport that works for them. And while my area is high-performance parasport, you don't have to be high-performance. You don't have to be training for the Paralympic Games. You can still connect with, in Saskatchewan, like you mentioned, Saskatchewan Wheelchair Association. I'm sure different provinces have a similar um, board or a similar community that can help put you in touch with different teams or different areas where you can become involved in parasport without pursuing it at the highest level. And age, I think, kicks into that too, because I'm 35 and I was like, oh, am I too old to even start this journey? Cause it is a completely different journey. And I know that was one thing that I wondered too. And I'm sure other people wonder that as well when they come across or come into di- disability later on in life, it's like, am I too old to start that journey? You know, the interesting thing is with parasport is the long-term athlete development model shifts so much relative to what we would consider for able-bodied populations. And mostly because a large portion of the people who compete in parasports acquire their injury, their illness, their diagnosis sometime later in life. So the average age of competitors tends to be much older. So myself as 20, as a 27 year old, I am one of the youngest people in my classification in cycling and the youngest of the competitive ones. The two girls who kind of will typically win most of the races in the different disciplines of cycling are, I believe, 47 and 49. There's an Australian woman who, with MS that rides a tricycle. 
she just went to, I think it's her third Paralympic games at 60 years old and she won a silver medal. So, um, the average age is definitely much, much older in para sport. So I don't think you need to worry about being quote unquote too old to start this new journey because that's kind of just the typical age that we see in parasport. You know, we've got some people with maybe congenital conditions or that acquire their injury illness early in life. That will start a little bit younger. Usually it'll be quite young if it's somebody with congenital illness competing as young as like 14. But then if it's something that's acquired, it could be something as old as, again, I know some really high level competitors that are 60. Yeah. Isn't that so amazing too? Like opportunity that faces you when there's a change in circumstances. That's so amazing. And I've important asked, to know. I've been asked a lot of times and I've asked myself if I could go back and change my disability falling from my horse, would I? And I don't know at this point in my life, I don't think I would. While yes, it's brought me countless heartbreak, mm-hmm. um, so much hardship. It's also given me some incredible opportunities to pursue sport at the highest level. It's led me to some of my best friends and it's really just allowed me to grow as a person and to reevaluate some of the important things in my life. hundred percent. I know it's the same for me. Whenever I have a day where my neuropathy is bad or I have lots of falls, um, it's like, no, I always believe it was given to me for a reason. Um, it may have saved my son's life too, where we wouldn't have even known to be monitoring him. So that alone needs to be celebrated. But then the, the angle it gives me on life and the things that I value differently, um, just that even, I'm sure you share the same thing, but it's like the concept of me being able to take out the garbage and feel my feet on the floor well, depending on how bad my neuropathy is that day, but being able to take steps and stand to do dishes, like I am gifted that and, and being able to see life from that angle is a really rosy pair of glasses. And yes, there's a lot of hardship and there's a lot of breakdowns that you have because of it, but doesn't it make you stronger and doesn't it give you so much insight into other people's lives too, right? And opportunities that exist in our world that just aren't all over social media and aren't in our face and yet exist and are a huge part of so many people's lives. Absolutely. Great. And thank you, Keely and Miranda. I've I've learned lots from, from hearing you speak today and from sharing your perspectives and it's been really nice to, to get to know you. I feel like I know lots about you in this short amount of time. Yes. Thanks for all that you do as well. That sounds amazing. Your people should be so very happy to have you. Oh, thanks so much, Miranda. If there's ever a way we can um, work with you in our research, I have your contact information now. Same with you, Keely. Congratulations on all you've accomplished this year. Thanks so much for both of you and your input. I think it's such an important conversation and I'm so glad we've been given the platform to do so. Definitely. Thanks to CISA. Very privileged to be able to speak with both Miranda and Jen. Absolutely. And oh, I was so excited when I seen the topic because I do, I think that awareness of it, especially for fitness professionals, because when you go into that industry, you're not necessarily thinking that some people that's the direction they go, but, um, and it's such a, it's such a amazing group to work with too, when you get to change people's lives and help them feel successful, right? Feel more normal if you want to be normal. <laughs>